You are listening to Mia the Madams' is Amory Sky. Got a lot in your mind and we can talk about it. Got a lot going on and we can talk about it. If you're looking for grooves, we want to talk about it. If you're looking for food, we want to talk about it. I good news, I want to talk about it. Hey, hey. I'm going to get a light and you can shine on it. I'm going to get a light and you can shine on it. Hello, beloved. Welcome to another episode. Thank you for continuing to listen to Meeting of the Madams. Please like, share, and subscribe. So on today's episode, we will end our series in higher education. And one reason this has been um, dear to me, I've been working in higher education for the past seven years. And this year I decided to go back to school. So I'm ending my first year as a doctoral student. And so I have one of my fellow um, classmates, Tanisha, who's on, who is a doctoral candidate at the University of Louisville, and Mikola, who is a doctoral student at Vanderbilt University in education i hope that you all that you have taken something away from this series and understand the challenges of black women in higher education and thank you for our listeners in germany i see that is our highest rated country outside of the united states so thank you for listening and again hit me up on instagram or facebook about any topic you want to discuss and we'll be bringing back a new series next month again hit me up at amory sky thanks and hope you enjoy. All right, thanks ladies for coming on the podcast today. So can each of you introduce yourself? I'll go. Um, my name is Tanisha Howard Lewis. I'm a doctoral candidate at the University of Louisville in the School of Public Health and Information Sciences. My name's Mikola Harris. I'm a third year in the Department of Teaching and Learning at Vanderbilt University. So my first question is, what is the challenge to being a Black woman, PhD student, or candidate at a predominantly white institution? For me, um, I think given that I've done my bachelor's, my master's, and now this degree all at PWIs, um, the experience kind of is is the same across the board. You face um, a lot of hurdles that, you know, your male counterparts don't experience or that your white male or white female counterparts don't experience. Um, But then you also have the occasionally unique opportunity where you find like a faculty member or someone that you can see yourself in and you just kind of cling on to that because the rest, it feels like the rest of the department or the rest of the university kind of feels like they're out to get you in a way. Yeah, I can relate to what Tanisha is saying. My advisor is a Black woman, and I've clung to her since I've been at Vanderbilt. And with being a part of her lab, I've always felt like I've been part of a community. And so I think there are a lot of challenges, but because I've been, um, I guess, provided with access to like safe spaces, I feel... I I don't always feel all the challenges that I think a Black woman would feel in a PhD program. So what's the ways in which you advocate for yourself in your program um, and at your school in general? Mikula? Okay, so I advocate for myself by, I mean, this might seem small, but like asking for extra time on assignments, um, 
kind of the main thing. Speaking up when things don't sit right with me. And have you experienced pushback because of that? Mm, no. Tanisha. So uh, there have been a couple of ways. Um, so outside of just um, because I also have been leaning into asking for more time or making it known where something just doesn't, you know, sit well in my spirit. Um, my biggest form of advocacy has for me come around my uh, qualifying exam or around my research interest. Um, and so constantly pushing back against the narrative of what the department is uh, pretending to be progressive about um, mm -hmm. versus what we truly can accomplish in terms of equitable research. Um, from my qualifying exam experience, I was told my topic wasn't uh, a public health topic. I was told that um, my research method wasn't a real research method because it was one that was unfamiliar to the people grading my exam. Uh, it was just a, a series of nightmares. I requested to have um, my oral exam recorded um, because I did not trust the people in the department that were grading it to grade it equitably. Um, because a lot of what was happening in that process, I felt as though I was being graded to a different standard than that of the rest of my cohort. Um, and so just making sure I um, not only stood up for what it was that I believed or what it was that um, I felt was good research because, you know, we always get in that lens of, well, they're the instructor, they know, or they're, they already have their degree. No, we as students know, we as students are uh, capable of producing knowledge in the same ways. Um, and so making sure that I made myself heard, but also made myself respected. Okay. Yeah, so I haven't gotten to qualifying exams yet. I'm in my department, we do a major area paper, and I just requested um, all the faculty to be on my committee. It's like all black. I love it. <laughs> and that doesn't necessarily mean that I'll be graded equitably, but there's just like a level of comfort that I have going into it, but also like a lot of anxiety because I don't want to disappoint them. <laughs> so what is one thing that you would change about your experience during your doctoral program to this point? Uh, I would love to change, um, the way that the, well, just one thing, because it's hard to just do one thing. You, you uh, can name multiple, you can name multiple. Okay, thank you, because they, they're kind of connected. <laughs> so uh, the first thing that I would change just about my experience is making sure that I was in a department that had faculty that looked like me and faculty that had similar research as mine, um, because what I think, well, what my dissertation area is, isn't so out of the box that it just is just, inconceivable. No, it's that people in the department are within a traditional vein of public health. And so that would be the first thing I would change. Um, the second thing that I would change is I think there needs to be from the, like the beginning, some type of student accountability um, board or, you know, something of the sort in which instructors, faculty, professors, everyone is uh, held accountable to their students. And to my knowledge, that currently doesn't exist in that way in my department. Um, and then lastly, I would just rip the qualifying exam process in my department to shreds 
because it's not about student matriculation. It's all about what they believe is good research. And that doesn't sit well with my spirit. That's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel for you. Um, If I could change one thing, it wouldn't necessarily be within my department, but at the university level, I would change, first of all, how much funding we get, because I hate that. Um, But no, I would change the process for receiving accommodations. I'm a student who struggles, uh, has some mental health struggles, which impacts my processing and needing additional time on assignments and things like that. And it was like a whole ordeal trying to get that process and approved. Whereas for undergrads, it's my understanding that um, the university caters more so towards them than graduate students. Definitely. So um, something that's come up when I've interviewed some other women who were in higher ed was the burnout or the fear of burnout. So do you think that's something that's talked about in your program, whether it's in um, seminar conversations or just generally in the classroom or with you and your advisor going forward, if you would like to remain in academia or even if you decide to go a different route? For me, it's definitely something that has come up in my classes Um, in conversations with my advisor, I am thinking about becoming a professor once I finish. Um, And I think to avoid burnout, I know that I don't want to be at an R1 institution. Um, But yeah, definitely, we have conversations about it. Uh, We've had conversations about it as well. Um, In our seminar classes, it was kind of a touch and go. We had one session where we learned about making sure we prioritized our self-care within this process, but what does that really look like? Um, Because the burdens and challenges that are faced by students of color are completely different to a degree than some of the other students that were in that seminar. Um, But on an individual basis between professors and my advisor, we all have had conversations about how to uh, make sure you're caring for yourself along this journey. Um, And I've just been really fortunate that my advisor will prioritize self-care and will demonstrate the importance of self-care by even, she'll cancel a meeting on her calendar really quick to be like, you know what, you need to rest. So I do appreciate the little things. Um, If it weren't for my advisor, I probably would have lost it by now. Uh, and do you think that, do you see the doctor, do they, do you think they care about mental health in your program? And that this is a rough process, especially that we are still like adulting and adulting, we know it's ghetto. So adulting and being a PhD student and making sure to do everything in your program necessary from your research to going to conferences, to doing your coursework. Do you think they understand those challenges? To a degree, yes. Um, Throughout this program, I'll say with the exception of maybe two professors, everyone I've encountered in my department throughout coursework, and granted, these are the same uh, professors that I had during my master's as well, uh, all understand life is lifing for us all, especially being in this program during the pandemic, uh, they were able to recognize our humanity a lot more. Um, So 
I think for the most part, with the exception of, you know, there's a couple here and there that'll be like, you know what, I, I went through it, you can get through it too. Um, whereas on the other hand, I could very easily uh, call one of my professors and say, hey, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed. And then they will sit and process through what I could do uh, to kind of alleviate some of that stress. Yeah, I'd have to agree with Tanisha at my institution. I feel like they get it to an extent. I mean, everyone has been through the process in order to be where they are. Um, But I know that, I guess, because I'm a TA and I'm able to see a little bit of the teaching side, I understand how there's like all this stuff that we have to get through. Um, And I say that because I'm still in coursework um, and sometimes the workload isn't manageable, like trying to get through all of these readings in one week. It just doesn't all happen. And so I guess going back to your question earlier about like having agency and advocating for myself, I have to do what I can do like within my limits and not like push myself to burn out, to try to read every single word in the article or whatever it is. So going on with that, being, how do you all feel that being a TA or co-teaching a session has changed your view of what you want to do in the future? Because I know, Mikla, you said you don't want to be at an R1 institution. So, because I know both of y'all have done that. Gotcha. So I care a lot about teaching. Research is also important to me, but I think my heart is more so in teaching. And so with being a TA, I've had the opportunity to teach alongside my advisor and get some classroom experience with hopefully teaching courses that I would teach in the future with pre-service teachers. So it's it's been a good experience for me. And on the other end, I've decided after, so I've TA two classes, I co-taught and actually did some course development for another. It's like, yeah, this isn't it. So I think I want to focus more on the research side. I do love teaching. Um, But at the same time, I think I'm more interested in community education through research and less on the education of students in the academy. Do you think it would be different depending on if you were at an institution that you felt like you could be well balanced that you would want to teach more? No, (laughs) No. I I really, my heart is as a researcher and I think that, and so I came into the program saying that I've always said I didn't want to be in the academy. I wanted to do community research and they've tried over the last few years of coursework to now to try and make me love teaching. Um, And my lens isn't that, of like, I don't want to do the student engagement well not the student engagement but the the it's the if I could come in and guest lecture and do a mic drop and bounce I would love it but I don't want to have to do the day-to-day activities of classroom administration like I I don't enjoy it Um, whereas if it was a community session and just you know teaching and talking to community I'm all in okay I understand that. So what do you all think is the biggest misconception about um, being in a doctoral program? Time. Uh, Everyone has this idea of how my time is spent. Um, What I'm doing and the reality is, is that if I'm not reading something for class, 
I'm writing something. If I'm not writing something, I'm crying about something I didn't write or should have done. Uh, there's, I just feel like I've watched life just kind of fly by in the years that I've been in school um, and that I haven't really had the opportunity to just like fully live, you know? Um, and so I think had I known then what I know now, I probably would have taken a gap year or taken some time just to kind of live because I've gone straight through bachelor's to now and I've not had any gaps. So I think that's the biggest thing for me. Yeah, definitely time. I'm trying to think what else I can add. Um, I did take like several gap years. I did my master's and then taught for a few years and then came back to it. So I guess I had like some idea of what I was getting into. Um, but like a misconception I had for myself as well, <laughs> all of the work that would go into it. Um, I had talked to current students uh, when I was admitted and they're like, oh, you know, you're going to have more flexibility than you did as a teacher. And I guess in some ways, yes, but it's just, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Definitely. Um, going straight through, I commend Tanisha for it because there's just no way um, my mental health would suffer if I went straight through. So it was this um, list I shared with uh, Mikula earlier uh, last week that talked about self-care reminders for academics. And one of them was like take a mini vacation. So when is the time doing your program that you take time for yourself besides your usual during the week type of thing but when's another time period during your program that you take a mini vacation or just time away to step away from school every time there's a break in the calendar I try to do something um in my first year I was really intentional about going on like a mini weekend trip every month um so I started in 2019 and I was able to keep up with it until the pandemic started in the spring of my first year. Um, and then I kind of had to reimagine what that me time looked like. I'm still trying to figure out a balance. And so like I maybe over, man, I'll actually say this is the entire time that I've been at UofL, I've maybe taken three trips or mini breaks or any of the things. So I'm working to do better with that. Um, so for, so for example, next week, I'm taking off the entire spring break, just all of it. Um, and it's, it's more difficult for me because I work full-time for the university as well. And so even when like school is out for breaks, I still have to work. Um, and so if anything, everyone decides that they want to have all of the meetings on my calendar because they're off as well, they're not teaching, you know, or any of the other things. And so it's become more of a time to get more accomplished instead of a time to rest. So I'm trying to work on prioritizing that. And it's a challenge, right? Like this is my spring break right now. And I have a whole list of things that need to get done, but I also want to rest. But like those deadlines, whether I rest or not, they're, they're still creeping up. So that balance is a challenge for sure. And so how do y'all balance so also your responsibilities um so friends and family too like how do you say the word no more just because i'll give an example um i've said no about certain they're like well you're out of school that does not mean that i have time to fly to your city and stay for three days when i need to catch up on my other stuff or that maybe i want to go home 
um, instead and sit in my parents' house for three days and not bum rush around the city and get, be tired when I come back when I, I'm going to have to read and write. So how do you just use the word no more? I wish I had an answer <laughs> yet again. Um, I think I, so I think instead of just saying no, I've just found ways to kind of offload. So I'm a caregiver when I'm not doing school. So my mom is uh, sickly back at home. And so most of my time is spent between Louisville and Northwest Indiana. And so instead of saying, no, I found ways to do things remotely instead of having to drive up and down I-65. So it became more of a compromise. Um, I can't come home to do stuff around the house. But what I can do is hire someone to come and do the things for you. Or I can't come, but I can have a, a, a sitter to come and sit with you. To, so that way things can still get done. Um, my other thing that I've done is I'll just block off uh, a calendar, an uh, entire calendar day and just be like, yeah, I have no time because if I don't, then I'll, I'll always end up saying, yes, I can, or yes, I will, or I'll make time for it. Um, so blocking my calendar as a way of intentionally making time for myself became the way that I can uh, very gently say no. Yeah, I think those are all great examples. And for me, I try to think about if I'm saying no, what am I saying yes to? Am I saying yes to my mental health, my wellness, um, clear mind, um, I've had some health challenges and like that's required various doctor's appointments and that might require missing class where my advisor like, can you show up? The answer is no, but like I have to choose my health because if I'm not here, like the work is not going to get done. So I just try to think about what am I saying yes to if I'm saying no to try to like put a spin on it. I've learned the word no to, especially to professors. Like I can't come to your class today because I'm sick. And I know that I'm not going to miss anything crucial. And I really need to sleep because I haven't slept because I'm sick. So um, there's that. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for thinking of me. And that's the episode. Thank you so much for listening. And again, hit me up on Instagram at amariesky, A-M-A-R-I-E-S-K-Y-Y. And same on Facebook. I hope you all have a great end to April as May started to bloom and that you're getting over this allergy season, child. Thanks so much. One love, Amory Sky.